You're listening to the B-Side Podcast on Brick Radio. If you like what you hear or think there's an artist or band we should have in the studio, let us know in the comments. Otherwise, sit back, relax, tune in, and turn on. Heir to a jazz legacy, but committed to imprinting his own name in the annals, noting the greats. Theo Coker rejects music categories. He's immersed in jazz, but has his creative hands in everything from hip hop to film to contemporary classical music. You can hear all of these influences in his latest five song EP, Dark Funk. With something for purists and music lovers alike, Theo has traveled the world, and tonight he has brought his exceptional instrumentality right here to Brooklyn. I'm your host, Norman Edwards Jr. Keep it locked for the next hour to see and hear Mr. Croker yourself right here on B-Side. Why don't you tell the audience what the name of that tune was? Uh, the name of that song was Raise Your Vibrations, Transcend. And how did you come up with that title? Originally the title was Transcend. My life has become a lot about spirituality and about transcendence and about multiple dimensions, mm. you know, spiritual and mental health. And the song for me uh, represents a chance for the band. Usually we use it to open up to really just kind of meditate and get everything out so that everything that follows is like, pow. So that song is, you know, like a meditation, that song is not necessarily about everything being precise and together and exact. It's more about, you know, turn the car on, rev the engine, drive around the block, hit a few cones, you know, and get into it for real, and get on the highway. So that's, that's really what transcendence is about, because you're always, in my opinion, you'll always transcend higher and higher. So there is no end to that. Mm, absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. I definitely agree with that. Can you tell me about your band members that you have? I mean, of course. You know, um, <laughs> how did you meet? You know, like your guitarist, for example. I met the guitarist who we're now implementing into the band a few days before doing the record, through hey. the recommendation of the keyboardist. Wanted a guitar in the record, but I didn't know anybody that knew the music or could just give me what I wanted. Because when making a record, I'm very specific and meticulous about what everything is. It's not so much just a jam. Mm. Uh, and we recorded. So I needed somebody that could do a whole bunch of different stuff and Mike, the pianist, kept telling me about Ben. So I finally said, okay, fine, just have him come to the studio. And 
yeah, that was it. No rehearsal, nothing. So that's how I met Ben Yunsen on the guitar. Slick. On the keyboard, Michael is an Oberlin Conservatory graduate, which myself and the drummer Casa also are. I don't want to say how many years behind me because I don't want to say his age. But Sullivan Fortner, who's usually, who was in my band for a while, uh, started to do his own thing with Roy Hargrove and Impulse Records. And he recommended, I was like, man, I need somebody that can do what you can do, but not like you, like themselves. You know, I need another individual like you. And so he recommended Mike. Mike's been in the band since then, nonstop. So it's Michael King. And it's great that he's from my alma mater. That's just kind of cool. Yeah, we didn't go to college together, but <laughs> the fact that he went, came through the same channels that I came through means that I know we both just know we're coming from the same vibe. So that's really just helpful in this kind Absolutely. of this situation. Absolutely. Eric, I met Eric on a bar mitzvah. We played a bar mitzvah, <laughs> and I've done those. We played a, was it a bar mitzvah? Yeah, it was a bar mitzvah in Washington, D.C. Mazel tov. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Seven or eight years ago, we were playing. People were dancing and like falling into us and stuff. We just kept playing. <laughs> we were hanging out, and you know, I was like, man, one day we're going to be on a gig, and we're going to play for real. Uh, and now we tour all over the world together. So that's how I met Eric, and uh, straight up. And it's just, he's been my first call cat since. Very cool. Calling me Dub, because it's just got that, you know. A lot of bass players don't have that. You know, I don't what know if I can, that? I can't yeah. say it on TV. <laughs> so it's just that, you know, just don't have it. Uh, on the tenor saxophone and baritone saxophone, Mr. Anthony Ware, I've known through uh, another sax player for years. I've known Anthony for years. Anthony has saved me many times in Asia from <laughs> certain death and expulsion simply by showing up and just taking my place so I could disappear for a little while. He's traveled the world with me. We've gotten in all sorts of trouble and we have a connection when we play because of that. So uh, when the other saxophonist ventured into some other bands, we got Anthony, he slid right in there like he always does, like he's been in the band. <laughs> so that's Mr. Anthony Ware. And on drums, it's kind of my, my co-partner in all of my crimes musically. Mm. Uh, Casa Overall, we went to Oberlin Conservatory of Music together. Uh, from the first day we met at the conservatory, we been putting up with each other and playing in bands <laughs> together and just creating, always we, we, we created tracks. I think playing jazz drums is his spare time. He's also a rapper. So, the, you know, we've, hey. we've actually created a lot of music together over the years. And uh, when I came back from living overseas, we finally took that opportunity to start materializing all the stuff we've been working on for years and years and years. And a lot of that, or most of it, is what you hear now, is the product of our exploration all those years apart and together. So he is my co-producer musically. You know, I won't give it a pass unless he really doesn't like it or loves it. So, <laughs> and that's just to, you know, create some type of tension because that's necessary in music. If we right. all agreed on everything, it would be pretty boring. Yeah. So it's got to be a, no, nah, we're going to do it this way just so that that person that you said no to can bring a different kind of intensity to the thing that you want them to do that they don't want to do. That's my style of leading the band though. It doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> no, but, but I totally feel that and that totally is a great way for it to work when you guys can like work together, be on the same page. And even yeah. if there's some little things where it's like, I don't like it to go this way, or like, well, I want to go this way. But then when you work at it, usually something better comes out of that. Exactly. Yeah, something that we don't control. Right. Which is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. It. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us what the next song you guys are going to play for us. The next song we're going to play is entitled, This Could Be For The Traveling Soul. And it's a tune about 
I mean, I, we travel a lot, all of us do. And uh, me personally, I find it very easy to connect to a place because it's not an airplane. And then also <laughs> very difficult <laughs> to leave because I got to get on another airplane and go someplace else. I mean, we enjoy that. But, you know, as far as like what feels like home for me is everywhere. So I'm always thinking, oh, I get to this place. Oh, this is this is dope. Maybe I can live here. And then I go to the next place. Oh, maybe I can live here. And I get back to New York and it's like, oh, maybe I can live here. Or maybe maybe this person could be my homie. Maybe this person could be my neighbor. Maybe this woman could be my love. Maybe, you know, so mm. <laughs> it never really locks down into anything in my experience. So this song is coming out of that. This could be for the traveling soul. Go for it. You know, Theo, you were somewhat considered a uh, prodigy at a young age, so I wanted to ask you, when you went to study music and left home at 16, how did it shape your outlook on life and your artistry as well? To be honest, I don't believe in prodigies. Mm. Even 12-year-olds get Grammys. You know, if you're 12 and you can play, that's great, but playing music is about expressing life. Mm. So when I left home, that's when I really started to actually learn what life was like and about. You know, like when you have no food to eat because you have no job, because you left your house, because you wanted to play music, for example, you know, things like that. So, I mean, I always practiced, always had things to learn. I still have things to learn. It's just, it's an endless journey. Mm. And leaving home to go someplace where I could be nurtured musically more was just one of the first steps to just a long road that I see no end to. Yeah. Yeah, right on, right on. And so you are also the grandson of one Doc Cheatham, oh, yeah. which is really awesome. I'm like, ah, because I learned about him in jazz history. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> so do you ever feel like a need to carry on that legacy or at least like kind of chart your own or kind of do both? 
how, how, um, how, how, how have you thought Yes, about I feel that I am carrying on the legacy because the man I knew, if I were to not be playing my own music and, you know, um, leaning towards my own voice and music, he would be upset <laughs> because that's what he spent his whole life developing, his own sound, his own voice. He started his solo career in his late 60s that went into his early 90s. So imagine being 67 years old and practicing to develop something new. So I feel in that way, I am doing him a lot of service, mm. especially by not imitating him or just playing what everybody would accept as being an imitation or a copy of him. I will tribute him literally with his music when I'm ready, uh, when I have exhausted my own ambitions with playing music, then I will turn myself backwards. And I believe if he were here now, he would be very pleased with that. And he would be very angry if I was doing anything other than me. That, that was his message to everybody. And that's what made him who he was. Absolutely. So if I learned anything from him, it was definitely that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well said, man, well said. I want to get back to you being in Oberlin. You know, uh, yeah. I, I know you probably had your pick of conservatories, but I read somewhere, Wikipedia, uh -oh. that, <laughs> that Donald Byrd was your driving force into getting there. What was yeah. it like, you know, like going there to Oberlin and studying there with him? I mean, it was deep. I didn't even know what Oberlin was. I applied for three schools, Juilliard, Florida State, naturally, because I'm from Florida, mm. a state school. And then, um, and then my father kept pushing me to check out Oberlin. And then I was like, <laughs> Oberlin, Ohio, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Actually, the Oberlin Septet, which was a group of the best jazz students at Oberlin, came to my high school a few days after that, literally, and played. And Casa was in that band. No, you weren't in that band. You were supposed to be in that band. Okay. I was blown away by the level, because, I mean, I had traveled and seen professionals. I was like, whoa, these, they're students? <laughs> okay, that's kind of deep. So I agreed to go there with my father, and when we went there, we saw a concert. The moment we arrived, you were playing on that concert with Donald Byrd. And hey. Donald Byrd was playing with that same band, but with Casa on drums. And I was like, I, I mean, I knew who Donald Byrd was because my pops would play me records of him, but I didn't really understand before I got into him really what it was. I was like, okay, I want to do this. You can focus here, you can just be on that. Having Donald Byrd living in Oberlin, Ohio, which is like 15,000 people counting the school, maybe, maybe a lot less. <laughs> I think the school's in a couple thousand. Just having him in a little town like that meant you was going to see Donald Byrd all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, mm -hmm. class. And if you know old, especially African-American jazz musicians, they like to hang out and talk. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> that's right. Just, I just hung out with Donald Byrd nonstop for days. He'd be like, okay, we'd hang out all day. He'd be like, okay, you need to come to the house and go through this box of music I have. And it would, I'd come over and he'd put a box of music in front of me. And we'd just be like, you know, pick some stuff out. And it would be all these exercises he's written. Donald Byrd had a doctorate in education. Mm -hmm. Education, not music. He had a doctorate in education. So he had a way of always finding another path for me to explore that was obviously a diversion from what I already knew and was mm -hmm. moving towards. So if I would have a tendency, like all people do, to do something that's comfortable for me compositionally or improvisationally, he would snatch me and throw me a whole other way. Not opposite, because <laughs> opposite is just a matter of turning around. Right. But he would spin me around and then push me. So that's just the kind of dude Donald Byrd was. He was very intense. He wasn't always nice, which I didn't suffer from, but he's just a world of knowledge, man. I can't understand how somebody like Donald Byrd or Benny Golson, 
people like that aren't, weren't or are not sitting on the boards for what people are determining is and is not jazz and good music because mm -hmm. these legends mm -hmm. are alive and they created all of this music. They created the foundation of everything that we're doing now, calling new. So just to be able to be around the actual innovators of something, not the repetitors, this is very powerful. Absolutely. So what about the next song you guys are going to do? The next song we're going to do is a song, it's about being out in outer space, <laughs> which some of us have been to. We keep sending spacecrafts up into space, but the only thing that can transcend the third dimension is the mind, the mental capacity, the power, the soul. So this is a song about being on that journey entitled In Orbit. Take it away.
blasted off, man. That's, that's all right. So, your latest EP, Dark Funk, is your fourth release. Yes. You know, and you were recently quoted as saying, artistic must also reflect the society that gave it life. And my life experiences have allowed me to share an eclectic global viewpoint. So I wanted to ask, with so much global turmoil that's going on right now, you know, in what way does this album give the listeners, you know, a lens on contemporary society? Well, contemporary society is always contemporary. Mm. It's just a matter of how much time you want to spend on investigating what's really going on and how much you want to look into what's really being said, what's really being expressed by artists, what's really being followed and desired by people in different societies. When we travel the world, we see how Spanish people think, how Italians think, how they eat, how they socialize, how they use their phones, how they spend their money, how they <laughs> build their houses, uh, how they treat us as foreigners or treat us as Americans. It's two different things. When you travel as an American or a foreigner, when we're under the radar, we get treated one way. When we're American in some places, it's not so great. In some places, it's amazing. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, as far as the turmoil and the diffusions that are going on in the world today, I don't believe they're new. So it's just a matter of, again, how much attention people want to give to what somebody's telling you to give attention to and then to what you're actually vibrating towards and actually feeling as a truth. And so that's where we, as artists and musicians, I can speak for y'all, right? That's where, we, <laughs> that's where we stand. You know, we're interested in our truth and that of the society around us and expanding that global truth mm. and, you know, being peaceful. Yeah. You know, if people fought wars over music, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, through music, man, come on, man. I would fight, I would fight for my country on my instrument, you know, if it saved lives. There's a lot of stuff out there that is getting overlooked for things that are being relooked at, especially in our homeland, which I do love dearly. Mm. So Dark Funk is just an eye-opener. It's an opportunity, especially stylistically, musically, to, yeah. to return to some of the parts of jazz and all types of music that have been excluded from the masses, that have been withheld, you know. Things like Donald Byrd. I mean, mm -hmm. why don't kids know about Donald Byrd now? Mm. You know, but he's sampled and he's on a lot of stuff we've heard. That does do that's it a right. justice. You should see his house. <laughs> but I mean, but the knowledge that's in that music, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you know, yes. it, there's messages. It's all there. I'm not the messenger. I'm just the the guy holding the light towards the message. You know, you got to read it for yourself. We're not here to dictate. That right would on. impede on your free will, which we don't want to do. We just want to invite you to join the ride. <laughs> yeah. So Dark Funk. Yeah. Dark, yo, Dark Funk is, I mean, already what we're hearing is like, mm, there we go. Dark hey. Funk, you know. Was, yeah, man, that was very deep, very killing, man, very killing. So how would you differentiate each of your albums? Because it's your fourth release, so. Oh, that's a good question. Each album, you know a little bit more of what you're doing in the studio, for sure. I took about a seven-year break recording in my name. That was between an album called Inner Tradition and Afrophysicist. And between that, I became way less self-conscious and learned how to just go in the studio and just play. That was before I was always so meticulous. I st I'm still meticulous. Am I meticulous? I'm meticulous. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> the studio is very exposing. It exposes you, exposes you to yourself. It's very honest. You hear it and you're like, ooh, okay. That's what, I, that's what it sounds like. Even if people like it, but you have to come to terms with hearing yourself not through your, the vibration of your skull, skull as a trumpet player. Uh, so that, that was one thing that changed, and but I just let go of trying to figure out a formula. 
Mm. I gave up, not gave up, but I just abandoned the idea of trying to get a record deal because that was in the mid-thousands, I guess you would call it, early thousands when all of that was starting to fall off. Mm. Labels were falling off. CD burner came out. You know, we could burn <laughs> CDs now and download music for free and, and everything. Uh, so it, it just, for me, it was like, and I was living in China where there was no recording industry for making records or record stores. So mm -hmm. it was more like play live. So I, right. did, I spent seven years working on playing live before I went into the studio again to do anything behind my penmanship or my control. And then, of course, I met Dee Dee Bridgewater, right. who taught me how to make a record another kind of way, which I didn't know how to do before. And then I continued that on this album. She actually let me go. She didn't let me go. She put me out in a good way. She still supports <laughs> me, but she put me out. to. She's like, you got it. I want you to do this one completely on your own. And Dark Funk, the EP, was just what was left over from the record that we didn't want to waste. This recording is quite expensive. You know, you, you pay a lot of money to record and then you pay 99 cents for a song. Somewhere in there, somebody's <laughs> got to pick up that bill. So that essentially, I learned how to make a record in a different way. I learned how to display more of myself on a record, which is something I was always shy to do. So when I was in the studio with her, she was working me. I was getting work. She was pushing me beyond my limit to yeah. create artistically, which is good because I push everybody. So. She taught me what that was about, like pushing yourself in a way. So with the record that's coming out soon, in the springtime, it was uh, completely myself and Casa, with the support of Casa. I had to have somebody in my ear always, you know, saying like, yeah. Coolness. Or, or no, that ain't it. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, that, that's essentially the progression for making records in my life. Cool, swag, man. So what about the next song? song the next song, do? ooh, this one's good. The next song we're gonna do is uh, entitled No Escape From Bliss. Give it up. I don't think it needs an explanation, that's all it is. <laughs> Here it is.
Thank you, Theo Croker, for sharing your musical gifts with us and allowing the sounds to radiate into the deepest canals of our ears. You can keep up with Theo Croker at theocroker.com. I'm your host, Norman Edwards Jr., and I hope you enjoyed this time with us. Be sure to go check out this and past episodes anytime at youtube.com slash bricktv, and be sure to check in every Thursday to hear more of the best of music in Brooklyn. Okay, Theo, you guys sounded great. Thank you. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Emily Bogosian. For more information on B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.